lights, camera, action. I'm Graydon, and I'm your guide through the deep dive of the world of movies right here on their director's cut, exclusively on the Bloodline Entertainment Network. Check the description below for everything, all of our social medias, all listed down below, and as well as check out our bloodlinenetwork.com where you can buy merchandise and where you can see our articles that we post daily there as well. And remember, I also have a channel, so check down below for that as well. You can find it right here on YouTube at Binbuster, where I talk movies and go through the bins at Walmart and Goodwills and find deals for you guys on movies and other assortment of collectibles. So without, and remember to hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, hit that bell notification for whenever we post something new. And as always, without further ado, let's get into this. As you guys can read down below, tonight's episode is produced by Michael Bay and is directed by myself. <laughs> so, so you know why? Because this one, seriously, folks, this one tonight is a very hot one. It's going. Yeah, so like I said, it's going to melt your face tonight. But before I begin, like I always do, let's check out our chat, shall we? Uh, let's check it out right now. It's Tim. Tim's here from the Tim King Show and the uh, Roto Slappers, and as well as our guy who does our website. What's up, man? How's it going tonight? Courtney. One one quarter of the team that won in Family Feud this week, along with yours truly. So check that out on our right here on YouTube as well. What's up, Dylan? What's up, my man? How, how's it going tonight, man? Here we go. Break a leg by two. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, this is going to be a good one, isn't it, tonight, folks? Because Blakely says, what's good, my guy? I hear all good things about this movie. And... I'm going to talk about all good things about this movie. Or am I? You never know with me. That's right, Dom. That's right. Lights, camera, action. There he is. Another quarter of the winning team from this past Saturday. How you doing, my man? Don't break no bones not on my watch, please. No, no. It's not going to be breaking any bones, really. What's up, Devin? How you doing tonight, man? That's right. Go Cubs. Tim's going to hate this shirt. That's why I wore it tonight. So I know Tim was going to watch it. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. And Courtney rolling around laughing. Okay. So like I said, I got something exciting for us tonight. As you guys can read right here in the director's cut, we're talking the movie down below. Oppenheimer. This is a movie done by Christopher Nolan, his latest in his long line of masterpieces, I should say. Uh, I first saw, the, my first Christopher Nolan movie I remember seeing is The Prestige with uh, Hugh Jackman, Michael Caine, and Christian Bale, and Scarlett Johansson. Very good movie. If you guys haven't checked it out, that's the first one I recommend in watching for, uh, for um, Christopher Nolan. Either that or the Dark Knight trilogy. You know, Batman Begins, the Dark Knight, and the Dark Knight Rises. That trilogy, too. Those are the good starting points for Christopher Nolan. 
So, what's up, Justin? How you doing tonight, man? Long time no see, man. How you doing? All right. Without further ado, here is the synopsis of this movie as I read it off my notes right here. During World War II, Lieutenant General Leslie Groves Jr. appoints physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer to work on the top-secret Manhattan Project. Oppenheimer and a team of scientists spend years developing and designing the atomic bomb. Their work comes to fruition on July 16, 1945, as they witness the world's first nuclear explosion, forever changing the course of history. Changing the course of history when a portal to the unknown is opened up and something not from our from our world emerges into our own. And yes, this is really the synopsis for the movie down below. Anyways, Oppenheimer is based on the American Prometheus is based off of not only historical events, but also by American Prometheus. The Triumph of Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer. And it's the second movie of this box office season. This weekend, that is, um, that is, um, it scored $80 million this weekend. So it's the second highest grossing movie this weekend, only to be beaten out by a toy. Yes, a toy. <laughs> but anyways, I digress. Let's get back to Oppenheimer. I, I, like I said, it's loosely ba it's based off of the American Prometheus, the Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer, the twenty the two thousand five biography by Kai Bird and Marjay Sherman Sherwin. This film, like I said, is written and directed by Nolan. The film borrows liberally from the books, as well. It surveys Oppenheimer's life, including the role in the Manhattan Engineer District, better known as the Manhattan Project. You know, you you know what I'm talking about. The things with all. Yes, all the explosions. That's right. This episode's produced by Michael Bay. So we're going to have a bunch of explosions here tonight for you, ladies and gentlemen. Why? Because I'm diving deep tonight. Oh, 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 it's a deep burn. Oh, it's so deep. Ah. Anyways, where was it? Yeah, right here. He served as director of the clandestine weapons lab built in a near-desolate stretch of Los Alamos in New Mexico, where he and many others in the era's most dazzling scientific minds puzzled through how to harness nuclear reactions for the weapons that killed tons, tens of thousands instantly, ending the war in the Pacific. Yes, the devastating bomb on Hiroshima, which ended World War II. That's what this movie is about. And unlike most of Nolan's fare, it doesn't leave you guessing like Prestige does, uh, in Inception does, Tenet does. It doesn't leave you guessing as to what do you mean by the end, Mr. Nolan? 
because we already know this is a set place in history, a set time in history that happened. So we know the outcome of this. So Christopher Nolan can't do his little twists in there. However, however, there this movie is his long, one of his longest ones ever. <laughs> it's uh, just to let you guys know, it is a very dry movie. What I mean by that is if you're not a fan of movies with a lot of dialogue, then this movie is not for you. It's not for you. But if you're a fan of movies with a lot of dialogue and a pace that is slow but keeps you interested, then this is for you. He kind of splits up between the color of the real world and the black and whiteness of the documentary style of filmmaking. It's kind of... It's, it's weird to try and describe it in words. You have to go see the way he does it. It's it's awesome. But anyways, he's also known for not using CGI in this film. Yes, you were talking a guy who did a movie on an atomic bomb who actually built a bomb and blew it up in New Mexico. Yep. He built it with practical effects. You know, the same type of practical effects that they have used to melt. And the same type of practical effects that make you feel like you're stuck in that world. I mean, the set pieces in this movie are amazing. Very colorful set pieces, I should say. But then we switch over into the real world of this movie. And it looks just like our world. It, all the colors are gone. And it's kind of really realistic dreary, if that makes sense. Not like a black and white dreary, dreary, dreary. But a, but a real world dreary. Kind of like... Oh, the colors are faded. They're not as bright as they used to be. But it, the way the director does it, it's fantastic. The cinematography in this is awesome. Costuming is amazing. And you want to know something? Everything else is just so amazing. Even Even the explosions are amazing. <laughs> in this movie like it makes you feel like you're there and it, you actually kind of feel the heat from your seat in this movie I, I mean that's that's something worthwhile to mention i mean let's talk about for a moment that cast of this movie we have killian murphy who's been in a lot of nolan stuff but hasn't been a leading man yet I mean, they're talking, if it happens, if the Academy Awards, the Oscars happen, they're talking an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor for him already. So that's a good thing for this, for Killian Murphy, who was Scarecrow in, in the Dark Knight trilogy, who, if you're familiar with Red Eye, the movie, it was Jackson Rittner in there. So there's another homage in there, too. So you see, he's always been either the bad guy main character, but he's never, or in 28 Days Later, he was the main character in a zombie apocalypse. 
playing by himself. But this is the first leading role that shows his act hazing. We even get what could possibly be the best animation for Robert Downey Jr. As I said it. Song Iron Man is not as good as Rollness and in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I don't care what you say. It, it's the truth. He's up, he should be up for a cameo war actor in this movie. He's amazing in here. Give me one second. Like Andrew Commission and I'll protagonist. So he kind of plays Ocillian Murphy in this entire movie. And it's actually you, you kind of don't recognize him for a little bit there until he starts talking, and then you're like, oh, wait, that's Robert Downey Jr., which is kind of cool in this setting because in this setting, we get a feel of what Hoppenheimer's going through in his mind. Like, we, we see him there building the bomb in his head, and then we see the little things that Christopher Nolan puts in, which was like, little artworks and everything that you see in blue blueprints diagrams all real right there going through and be an amazing time for him to go through this and realize there's more to the there's more to the science thing than just making this bomb for for this and we learn a little bit about his history his family life and everything in here i mean That the music, who's to say that he's not able to go out and do a whole bunch of stuff and still make this big explosion happen. However, the music in here is kind of amazing. I mean, there's that late song from the 1990s, but I think it's Aqua that's in this movie too. Which is kind of a weird song to put into this movie. I mean, it talks about he's an oppie boy in an oppie world. I mean, mathematics, isn't it fantastic? I mean, he, he talks about stuff like that. And to me, that's just a little weird. I, I don't need to see modern music in a movie about World War II. I, I want to hear classic 1920s to 1940s music playing during that time period. That's what I want to hear. I could care less about everything else musically in, in there. But let's just say that the score, the overall score from credits to the end, is kind of good too. It has its moments of lightheartedness. But I mean, it all comes down to that big, big. explosion at the end it comes down to that big explosion at the end and how he deals with this bomb so i mean let's go let's continue on with the cast too right now so right now we have four we also have florence Pugh in this movie uh we have we have what's her face emily blunt matt damon are on this movie guys he's worked with guys and gals he's worked with before this movie holds history 
not just in the realm of making the atomic bomb, but holds history even right now in 2023. Why? Because Christopher Nolan stated to his actors, if the strike happens, and we all know the strike's happening right now, the actors and writer strike, you can leave. You feel free to leave. I support you guys. I support your decisions. So when they got word of it, the cast of Oppenheimer got up out of their seats and went out the back door of the theater. So that way the paparazzi wouldn't see them. Christopher Nolan went out the front and they asked, oh, where's all the actors? He goes, the, uh, the, the strike happened. So they're going over there to support their fellow actors and actresses. And I support their decision on this, which is a class act from this director on his premiere night of his movie. So, I mean, I mean, this also star, yeah. So, the fast-paced narrative fragmentation continues as Nolan fills the portrait, crosses and recrosses continents and ushers in armies of characters, including Kenneth Brenner, also in here, Matt Damon, Gary Oldman, and director Benny Safdie. As Edward Teller, the, the theoretical physicist known as the father of the hydrogen bomb. And don't tell me why Remy Remy Malik is in this movie. I still can't can't put put it in there. But you want to know something? You want to know something? I mean, Margot Robbie and um, what? Uh, Margot Robbie kind of kills it in, here too. So I mean, it's kind of one of those things that that she was made for this role that she's in in this movie. And Ryan Gosling is also made for this role in here. He's perfect in here. I mean, you have Kate McKinnon. You have Simu Limu, who played Chang-Chi. You have Michael Sarah, You have American Ferreira. And Will Ferrell. Yeah, what a cast also in this movie. As you go back and forth from the, black, from the dismal world, that he's creating in this documentary style to the bright and colorful world that that portal that I said opened up earlier and brings you to this world that's a cross between the Truman Show, the Lego movie, and Clueless. So that gets thrown right in there too because this weekend was a huge weekend in the box office for two movies. I mean, you're talking over 30... 300 million between three movies in the theaters this weekend. We haven't seen that in like months. In months. So, as Oppenheimer comes into focus, so does the world. In 1920s Germany, he learns quantum physics. The next decade, he's at Berkeley teaching, bouncing off of other young geniuses and building a center that he for the study of quantum physics. Nolan makes the era's intellectual excitement palatable palatable einstein published his theory of general relativity relativity in 1915 and you would expect there is a great deal of scientific debate and chalkboards filled with mystifying calculations most of which nolan translates fairly comprehensively so it's like nolan did his research on this and kind of just built it from there and said oh this is what this means this is what this means and i mean it's an amazing amazing time at the movies for this as well. I mean, he, going back and forth throughout the decades of his life is amazing and 
how Nolan films it is amazing. I mean, he films it in 70 millimeter film. IMAX, we're talking IMAX film here. Why? So you can see that explosion coming. And, and you see it, you're just like, whoa, I wonder how he did that. Yeah. Miniature, like he said in an interview, I forget where it was. I wish I had a clip, but it's miniatures. He has a lot of miniatures and he blew them up to get that explosion. So he used a lot of miniatures and did that. So no one was hurt in the making of this movie, guys. No one was harmed and no no towns were blown up, which is which is kind of awesome because he did this all with practical effects, like I said. He blew up miniatures and made these miniatures look like this town from the 1920s, and then he all the facades were looking like they were from the 15 the 1915 1910s let's put it that way 1910s to like the 1940s the facades change of these buildings and it just looks amazing it the way nolan does it like i said is amazing uh nolan is one of the few contemporary filmmakers operating at this ambitious scale, both thematically and technologically working with a superb cinematographer hoyt van hoytema Nolan has shot in 65 millimeter film, which is projected in 70 millimeter, a format that he used before to create a sense of cinematic monument, moment, yeah, momentally, yeah, big moments in in cinema. Let's put it that way. The results can be immersive through, at, though at times clobbering, particularly when the wow of his spectacle is provided more substantial and coherent than his storytelling. In Hoppenheimer, though, as in Dunkirk, he uses the format to convey the magnitude of the world defining event. Here it also closes the distance between you and Oppenheimer, whose face becomes both vista and mirror. There's times in this movie when you actually see through the eyes of uh, Oppenheimer, and it's amazing. Like to see what he, to, th to, to actually vision, visualize what he saw in here. Nolan integrates a black and like I said, he integrates black and white sections with the colored ones using scenes from the hearing and the confirmation. Strauss's role in the hearing and his relationship with Oppenheimer directly affected the confirmation's outcome to create a dialectical synth uh, synthesis. These black and white sequences define the last third of Oppenheimer. So the last third of this movie are these black and white sequences kind of saying, hey, this is the news program that's happening here. Let's watch it. Um, it feels as Nolan is becoming too swept up into the trials of America's most famous physicist experience. Instead, it is here that he the film's complexities and its many fragment fragments finally converges. Nolan puts the finishing touches on his portrait of a man who contributed to an age of transformational scientific discovery, who personified the the intersection of science and politics, including in his role as a communist boogeyman who was transformed by his role in the creation of weapons of mass destruction and soon after raised the alarm about the dangers of nuclear war. So, you see, guys and gals, thanks for watching. We've been talking about Oppenheimer, and Christopher Nolan just made this movie amazing. Like I said earlier, it was the second movie this weekend at the box office, scoring $80 million on, on a budget of $100 million. So it almost went back into town money. It lost out to a toy doll named Barbie this past week. 
weekend. Well, I, all Barbie does is it it scales up and makes you want to buy Barbies. At least in Oppenheimer, hey, science is cool, folks. It at least gets kids or want to to learn about science again. I know I'm intrigued by science again, but I never liked science to begin with. But this kind of I'm also a history buff. I like history. And this kind of makes me want to go back and look into those those tapes now and see what is what Nolan pieced from these tapes and what he refilmed from these tapes, like his inspiration behind all this. But anyways, <clears throat> it's a very, very movie. Oppenheimer was for me. However, the movie down below wasn't for me. I mean, it's... There's times where there's humor and it makes sense, but it wasn't for me. I the the villain in here was just it was a small part, but then it went bigger and bigger. It was throughout the entire movie. I could have done with less of that villain, but it's right there. So we've come to my favorite part of this thing. Whether if you guys should go see Oppenheimer. In fact, I'm going to give you guys the rating. Is it too sweet? Is it too sour? Let's find out. The movie down below? I mean, if you're into that that kind of thing, it's too sweet. It's too sweet. It can't be beat. But if you're looking for a good time in the theaters and don't want to sit there and just listen to dialogue and everything, go check out Barbie. I hear that that's good. <laughs> At times, it's not for everyone. Let's put it that way. There's times it's made for kids. There's times it's made for adults, but it's not for everyone. Let's put it that way. That, my friends, is for me, it, it, would, be, it would be that right there. Just too sour, don't even bother. So that's that's it for me. Like I said, you can guys can check it out for yourself and everything. However, thanks for watching. Diving into the deep cut, into the deep cut, into the world of. Oh, oh, oh it's a deep burn. Oh, it's so deep. Ah. With me, as always, check down in the description below. For everything that we do here at the Bloodline Entertainment Network, from wrestling to now fantasy football on Mondays here, as well as all of our articles on our website at bloodlinenetwork.com. So I hope you guys enjoyed this take on Oppenheimer. Until next time, remember there's more to the movies than what we see on the screen. I'm Graydon, and I'll be your guide through the through the films and their history right here on the director's cut. <laughs>